you tell stories about them. But when my son Connor was little, he was terrified of things like mascots, Halloween costumes, and clowns. And we have lots of great stories about him completely losing his mind in the presence of any of these things. But one of my favorites was his very first day of preschool. So Connor was the type of kid for the first two years of his life, I am not exaggerating, any place I dropped him off, Sunday school, daycare, there was complete separation anxiety and screaming. So I was a little bit nervous for the first day of two's preschool, and so we're both mustering up our courage as we're walking through the door, holding hands, and you cannot make this stuff up. I walk in the doors of the preschool, and there's a giant, at least six foot tall, lion mascot there to greet the kids. Well, Connor proceeded to completely lose his mind. Thankfully, he was not the only child also crying in the waiting room as we're walking into the preschool. So I politely asked the lion if he could please, you know, go into the other room so we could like actually get through the doors and go up the stairs to his classroom. And, you know, thankfully he complied. But I'm not sure who in their right mind thought this was a good idea to send a lion to the first day of preschool. But I found it was a local bank that actually, you know, was trying to do some kind of promotion. But um, anyway, probably need to rethink that one in terms of your audience trying to get new customers. But um, anyway, Connor, thankfully, now has gotten a little taller, not scared of mascots and Halloween costumes, but he did tell me he is still afraid of clowns. So, you know, keep those away from him. But as I was researching, I did a quick Google search to look at some of the top 10 greatest fears. Apparently, lots of people are afraid of clowns. Did you know this? It's a fairly common fear. But there's all sorts of lists. You have things like silly things like clowns. You have things like flying. People are afraid of heights public speaking, claustrophobia, being enclosed in small spaces, germs, snakes and dogs, that was one of the lists. Another, other ones I see have more serious things, like people are afraid of death, loved ones becoming seriously ill, mass shootings, not having enough money for retirement, terrorism, the lists go on and on. Then we have things that plague us, like the internal fears, like the fear of failure, rejection, Fear of making a wrong decision or saying the wrong thing. Fear of commitment or vulnerability. Is anyone starting to feel a bit anxious? Fear is a common emotion, but there are so many different fears that vary from person to person that can plague us and sometimes have the capacity to leave us just completely paralyzed by fear. Oftentimes, we do a good job of hiding our fears. Maybe they're not evident. They don't, uh, you know, cause us to shriek like they do, you know, when we're little. But they can prevent us from doing things that we want to do. Or sometimes they cause us to hide behind a happy face or a confident demeanor and hold back from doing things that we really want to do. Well, our scripture story this morning is, is about, as we are concluding, this is our last week in our series we've been doing called By Faith, as we've been working through some of the list of characters in this passage from Hebrews chapter 11. And one of the um, characters that's listed just in passing, actually the writer of Hebrews says, I don't have time to tell you about, and then lists a whole bunch of other people. And this guy Gideon is listed as one of these people. So we're going to dive a bit deeper into his story. But what I love about Gideon is that he is so relatable. He is somebody that has fears just like we do. He voices and names those things, and yet God still continues to use him and commends him for his faith. 
But before we jump into our scripture passage, I have a quick graphic I wanted to show you behind, behind me. And this is just a, a synopsis. If you were, this is come, our scripture story is from the book of Judges. If you were to just kind of summarize what happens in Judges, it is this, we call this the Judges cycle. This happens over and over. We start by seeing the people turn away from the Lord to idolatry. They worship other gods, they fall away from the Lord. And then because of that, they're oppressed. Usually a foreign invader comes in, they lit, they're dealt with oppression. And then because things are so terrible, they cry out to the Lord for help. And then the Lord raises up a judge or a deliverer, and they are freed from their suffering. And then what do they do? It goes right back again into the same cycle over and over. So our story this morning picks up at the beginning of another cycle of judges in chapter 6. So it starts by saying that the people of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and God gave them over to the hand of Midian for seven years. And now our reading will pick up with verse seven or verse six Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian he sent them a prophet who said this is what the Lord the God of Israel says I brought you up out of Egypt out of the land of slavery I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors I drove them out before you and gave you their land I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is you, it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. We're going to skip ahead a few verses, but to summarize what happens, Gideon prepares the sacrifice of meat and bread. The angel of the Lord comes and he touches it and fire consumes the offering. Verse 22 then says, When Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Ebezrites. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Well, you've got to love Gideon. He's a lot like Moses. When God calls him and tells him, hey, I got a plan for you, his first reaction is, I think you got the wrong guy. Um, I, his, all his excuses and all his reasons why this is not the right plan for him. We start by seeing, I don't know if you picked up on this, that Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press may seem a bit odd, but what we see before is that the Midianites were these invaders, and they were coming to basically just ravish the land. Anytime there was produce, they would come and take their crops. They would take their livestock. And so Gideon is so afraid that they're going to come and take his harvest that he has taken the wheat inside to, I've learned it's like a little tiny shack. A wine press was simply like a hole in the wall, hole in the ground with a little covering. He probably would have had to even stoop down to be threshing this wheat in a wine press. So he's in hiding. He's in a place of fear. And when this angel appears to him, the first thing the angel says is, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I love this because Gideon's story shows us that God sees not necessarily who we are, but who we're becoming. The angel tells Gideon, instead of saying, hey, scaredy cat, why are you hiding? He sees Gideon as the mighty warrior, the person that God is calling him to be. And God sees us the same way. He sees past those places in our lives where we're stuck, or even the ways that our fears can, help, can cause us to perceive ourselves as weak or inferior or inadequate for the tasks that are in front of us. Even in the midst of our fears, God sees who you are becoming. What name would you like to hear God declare over you? The Lord is with you, courageous survivor. The Lord is with you, patient parent. The Lord is with you, confident employee. The Lord is with you, strong and resilient one. God sees you becoming who he wants you to be, who you want to become, and calls it out of you even sometimes when you can't see it or don't have the faith to believe it yet. Gideon's almost a comedic character in some ways. His insecurities are so visible, and he states them openly before the Lord. I love that he's still listed in this hall of faith as someone who lived by faith, because we see in his narrative, honestly, we see more of his doubts than we do his faith. And so the second thing that we learn from Gideon's story is this, that doubts are a natural part of the journey of faith. When the angel says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, Gideon then responds. He tells him why this, he is not a mighty warrior and why he is the wrong person for the job. He starts to say, Lord, if you're with us, why has all this happened? Why is everything going wrong in my life? Well, it doesn't, sure doesn't feel like that you're with us. And then he tells him that I'm the weakest of all, in, uh, the weakest tribe, and I'm the weakest in all of my family. I certainly don't have what it takes. Well, we see Gideon's not the only person of faith that has these sorts of doubts, whether it's self-doubt or doubt about God's goodness to him in the midst of things. We see in the Psalms, it's such a great example, if you want to see permission for just giving over your honest feedback to the Lord about what's going on in your life, the psalmist often has a litany of all the ways that maybe he feels God is not present or that the Lord has not been there for him. We even see Jesus on the cross quoting Psalm 22, where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The life of faith is sometimes a paradox. Expressions of doubt, especially when we express them directly to God, 
rather than distancing us from God, they often have the capacity to deepen our intimacy with the Lord. They have the capacity to help grow our faith if we stay in communication with the Lord, voicing them to him, wrestling through these times of doubt and insecurity. Well, Gideon, he's a reminder that our weaknesses often have the tendency to point us toward the Lord's strength and the strength that God wants to give us. But sometimes these feelings emerge to remind us that we're not supposed to be doing life alone. We're supposed to be depending on the strength that God wants to give us. Well, my favorite part in this entire story is that the angel tells Gideon to go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Gideon isn't told to muster up more courage or to get more prepared or to do one more training class before he's ready. He's told to simply go now. Go in the strength that you have. Go as that scared, insecure version of yourself, Gideon. You don't need to get it all together. Knowing that God sees who you're becoming. He sees you as a mighty warrior. He's with you, and he's going to give you all that you need step by step. Go in the strength that you have right now, depending on the Lord. And sometimes when our strength is depleted, we don't necessarily feel like we have what it takes. And sometimes we think, I don't have enough strength to do that. Maybe sometimes it's just a season in life that you're in, and you're like, Lord, I don't even know I got enough strength to get through the next day. And we're simply asked to go. Go one day at a time in the strength that you have, trusting in the Lord. And when our strength is depleted, sometimes it feels like we're plain injured. We're, we're playing not with a full, uh, the full strength, full uh, um, capacity that we've been used to having. Sometimes we can feel physically depleted. Other times, this can be an emotional depletion. And it feels difficult to say, I'm just going to keep taking a step forward in the midst of what I'm going through. Well, there's an old story, an old one that an old pastor used to tell about two lumberjacks who were being evaluated for their work performance. One guy was named Sven, another guy was named Ollie. Well, Sven averaged cutting down about eight trees a day, where Ollie only averaged cutting down four. So who do you think got a better performance review in this situation? Well, before I tell you the answer to this, let me tell you a little bit more about each of them. Sven is about 25 years old, six foot five, 240 pounds, is a fitness buff, and he clears trees in a flat area. His quota is actually 10 trees a day, but he only cut down eight. Ollie, on the other hand, is 65. He has arthritis in most of his joints. He actually, when he was younger in an accident, lost one of his hands, so he guides the power saw with a nub on one arm. And he is given an area to cut down trees on a hillside, which is only given to the most skilled lumberjacks because there are power lines at the bottom. His quota for the day is actually only three trees, yet he has managed to average four. Well, the point of this old story that um, pastors love to tell is that God, when he looks at the story of our lives, he evaluates more than just what we see at the front, which is how much did you accomplish? What were you able to do? He sees the whole picture. He sees our capacities. 
He sees our weaknesses. He sees the hurts that we've been through, the things that we've had to overcome. And so the courage that we have to muster up for someone, the exact same task might take a whole lot more courage to face than it is for somebody else. And so we are not we are not looked at as less than when we don't have the strength, when we don't have the capacity, but rather the Lord sees what we have, what we've been given, and we are simply asked to do the best we can with what we have been given. And that's what I love about Gideon. He is a perfect example of someone who you might say, gosh, he's about one of the most insecure um, people of faith that you see in Scripture, yet he is commended as somebody by God who walked in faith who stepped forward despite what he was feeling, despite what he was going through, and was willing to be used by God to save Israel from the hand of Midian. Well, I don't know where you need to hear that message in your life today. Where is your courage maybe feeling a bit diminished? Where has life perhaps beat you down a bit? Where do you feel like maybe you don't have what it takes for a task that sometimes maybe God has put on your heart that you think, oh, maybe I should do this, but I'm not sure that I have what it takes? Is there a risk that maybe you've sensed God calling you to take? Is there a cause or a passion that's been on your heart and you're like, oh, I'm not sure if I should do anything about that? Is there something that you've wanted to, to, to take a risk to do at work, but you're not sure that you have what it takes? Is there maybe a neighbor or a, a something socially that you've wanted to do? You're like, oh, I don't know about my house. I don't know if I'm the best hostess, whatever it is. And you're like, I, maybe I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that. Maybe there's been a difficult conversation that you know that you've needed to have with a family member or a friend, but you're like, ah, I don't know. Maybe it just won't go the way that I was hoping. Maybe there's a creative project that you've wanted to start, and you're not quite sure that you have what it takes. Well, all that we're asked is to go in the strength that you have, trusting that God is with you, and it's, he is going to be with you no matter what. Vincent van Gogh once said this. He said, if you hear a voice within you that says, you cannot paint, then by all means paint, and that voice will be silenced. Go in the strength that you might have might mean for you to just start painting, to just start moving, to just start pursuing that thing that you're not so sure about. Gideon had a lot of doubts and insecurities, but he demonstrated faith by being willing to do what the Lord called him to do. Now, don't get me wrong. He didn't do this all perfectly. And actually, the most famous part of Gideon's story we didn't even get to today. And this is where Gideon needed all kinds of signs. We see he first asked for the sign about the, the angel coming and consuming the sacrifice. Then he puts these fleeces out and says, Okay, Lord, if you're really with me, will you make the fleece wet and the dr ground dry around it? And then God does that. And the next day he says, Well... Don't be mad at me, Lord, but can I ask for one more thing? Tomorrow, can you make the ground wet and leave the fleece dry? He had all these reassurances along the way. And so this is not, getting is not this like paradigm that we're supposed to be following, you know, asking God for all these signs, but rather I think Gideon is just a great reminder to us that even in the midst of our needs for reassurance, even in the ways that we sometimes test or doubt the Lord, that God is still with us and that God still wants to use us and that ultimately, we have the ability to step forward in faith, to move with that tiny mustard seed of faith and do what God has called us to do. Mother Teresa said, 
I am a little pencil in the hand of God who is writing a love letter to the world. I love that because we are all being used by God to write his love letter to this world in some big ways and small ways. Using your gifts to serve people in need in your community, perhaps. Maybe it means being a listening ear to a friend. Maybe it means teaching a child about God's love in Sunday school right here. Maybe it means speaking up for someone who needs an advocate. Maybe it's by inviting someone to church or going outside your comfort zone to befriend someone who is new. Go in the strength you have. The Lord is with you, and he sees you as a mighty warrior and will give you all that you need. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for reminders in your word um, that, Lord, the people that you've called and that you have used are people just like us, Lord. People who sometimes feel weak, people who don't necessarily feel like we have what it takes all the time to do what you've called us to do. So, Lord, I pray that um, whatever we're going through today, that you would remind us that all we are called to do is to go in the strength that we have. Thank you for your promise to always be with us, to fill us, and to show yourself strong in the midst of our weakness. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.